We're going to go to Zechariah, the ninth chapter, I think. Let me be sure about that. Um, thank you, praise and worship team. Awesome. Zechariah 9 and verse 9. Um, I left half my notes at home this morning. It was one of those crazy mornings. That could be good. That could be bad. I believe it's going to be good. Look at your neighbor and say, I believe it's going to be good. I believe it's going to be good. That doesn't mean we're going to go on and on. But this morning, I want to talk about um, returning to your fortress. Uh, returning to your fortress. This is a powerful passage, one that I've not preached probably in its fullness since 1998. And um, I returned to this passage with a fresh word, not regarding, couldn't even find those notes from 1998, but I know I preached it then. I have an uncanny, as Pastor says, uncanny memory about dates. Um, but return to your fortress. If you're in book of Zechariah, uh, chapter 9, say amen. Amen. Okay, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Say, that's me. He's saying rejoice greatly, O people of Zion. Say, that's me. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Don't you love to hear that? Look at your neighbor and say, your king is coming to you. Your king is coming to you. And when you hear that, you envision your king is coming. If we have a bit of imagination, if the Lord is coming to me today to right wrongs, to bring um, help and ministry and hope, etc., etc., then I envision him on a stallion, white horse, coming through the clouds with a sword in his hand. But how many know God comes to us in ways we can often miss? Amen? The religious missed him in the manger. The Pharisees missed him at Calvary. It says, Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation. He is just a powerful portion right there and has salvation. He is lowly and riding on a donkey, a coal, the foal of a donkey. Drop down to verse 11. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Now, don't go ahead and shout, but when we explain that, you'll feel like shouting. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Return to your stronghold of hope, most translation says. Even today, I declare that I will restore double to you. Do you know what the NLT says right there that I just love? Even today, I declare I will give you two mercies for every woe. Come on, somebody. Anybody need two mercies for every woe? I think that's going to be my second book after the one about despair that's got the bad word in it. If you miss Wednesday nights, you just don't know what I'm talking about. Look at your neighbor and say, it's okay. Two mercies for every woe. Two mercies for every woe. I don't know about you before we finish this passage, but I could tabulate a, quite a bit of woes this morning. Anybody else? I'm talking about through the period of your life as a believer, from the time that you were born. He says, two mercies for every woe. He says, I will restore double to you, for I have bent you to my bow and fitted the bow with Ephraim, and I have raised up your sons, O Zion. I'll explain all this in a moment against Greece, and I have made you like the sword of a mighty man. Return to your fortress, beautiful people. Who are beautiful people? Before we pray, put this on Facebook early this morning, and it just went pretty crazy pretty quick because it's a great statement by C.S. Lewis. The most beautiful people are those who have known defeat. They've known suffering. They've known struggle. They've known loss. And they have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep, loving concern. And he closes by saying, beautiful people just don't happen. 
No, beautiful people are formed. If you know someone that's deep and loving and concerned, that's unselfish, they're probably older than you. And they probably also have found their way through many struggles, through many losses. Beautiful people are not just evolved. Beautiful people are made. These things don't just happen. So this morning, beautiful people, return to your fortress of hope. Return to your refuge and your tower. Return to your place of believing and trusting in a God who can not fail. Return. Return to the place of believing. Return to the place of trusting. Return, beautiful people. Can you lift one hand to heaven? Father, in the name of Jesus, we welcome your Holy Spirit in this room. We ask for you to speak. We ask for you to be the voice inside the voice. I trust you, sir. I trust that you will say what you have planned to say, and you will speak it according to your will and purpose. But I pray for you to even say things I don't say. Whisper into the ears of my brothers and sisters. I don't know if I'll shout through most of this, cry through most of this, or speak softly. But I know it will be the right mood for this sermon. And I know you will get your point across. So I ask you, as we sequester our mind for the next few minutes, as we listen to the word and prepare to believe and to stand in the refuge of the hope in an almighty God who cannot fail, we hear your word and we bring our mind into captivity and we choose to listen to the word of God that can change us. In Jesus' name, and they all said, amen. Turn to your person to your left or right and say, good morning, beautiful person. Good morning, beautiful person. Good morning, beautiful person. Beautiful people. You know, this is one of those moments that, Pastor Todd, we often look for in our life. When someone just shows up at the right time, at the right place, and says, I'm proud of you. I'm really proud of you. I'm proud of you for your faith in the midst of the fire. I'm proud of you for your hope in the midst of hopelessness. I'm proud of you for holding on with that thread of hope that you didn't think was enough. I'm proud of you. I've noticed the little things. Often we, like Bette Midler, as we said Wednesday night, sing that song, God is watching us from a distance. I relayed Wednesday night that walking through a store, I don't even remember where I was, it was Cook's, my favorite grocery store, and I was walking through Cook's and they were blaring that instrumental and I refrained myself, which embarrasses Christine, but I come from a long family of singers. And at the drop of the hat we will sing, and I have now found a new kindred spirit, Connie Herring, who will do the same. At the drop of the hat, we will sing and we will drop the hat. And it was just all I could do just not to stop into Cook's, lift my hand, pick up my magic um, imaginary microphone and just sing I won't sing it right now but God is watching us from a distance and then it dawned on me what a lie what a crock what a pack of you know what if God is just watching me from a distance the tune is great Ben Midler did great with it she sold a lot it was number one in the year when dinosaurs roamed the earth but at any rate it was number one at that time but guess what if God is merely watching me from a distance there is no hope for my life if God is simply staring at me from some celestial sky if God is somehow trying to include me in the billions of other people I am without hope but I have good news for you today God is not watching you from a distance and he is not watching me from a distance the Bible says he knows the number of hairs upon my head he sees the sparrow when it moves across the earth his eye is not only on the sparrow but as the black writer said I know 
though he watches me. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning? God sees us in those moments when God comes on the scene. We love it when someone in flesh and blood says, I'm proud of you. I've seen you. And I'm proud of you. I'm proud of what you have done. And I feel for all the beautiful people in this room this morning. Beautiful people are those who trust in God. Beautiful people are those that believe in James 1 and 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. Oh, really, Father? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Look at your neighbor and say, let it grow. Let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Beautiful people believe when trouble comes, somehow, somewhere, there's an opportunity for joy. Beautiful people believe that these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire is tested and purified as gold, though your faith is far more precious, your Abba Father says in 1 Peter 1.17. He's saying, as, as high as gold may go or fall, your faith to me says your father this morning just as he is saying to these people in Zechariah and he's saying to you through Zechariah as he comes in the scene and proudly announces his pride of you his recognition of you his notice of you not from a distance not from some celestial sky watching oh sometimes we wished he watched at a distance but he does not the psalmist says he knows when I stand up he knows when I sit down he knows when I walk the path if I make my bed in hell he will come knocking if I ascend to the heaven he will be there a God who sees and who knows everything he knows when I lie down and then we question we come up with these pompous prayers preordained pre-written to somehow say things to God to impress him when we forget God says in Psalms 44 and 21 shall not God search us out for he knows the secret places of our heart you see I may not speak and I try not to the older I get I understand the undeniable power of words so I watch my words more than ever and I want to become better and better at this but even though I may not speak my distrust my disbelief and sometimes in God that I'm waging war in in my mind God reads the thoughts of my heart and I'm so thankful this morning that there is no place that you and I cannot go with him and speak to God what may not be worth anyone else's ears but let me tell you don't bring your pompous dressed up pretty little words to a most high God who can read every thought in your mind right now if you're thinking about your turtle your roast or your shoes you're going to put on this afternoon God is registering that thought right now look at your neighbor and say I'm thinking about none of those things I am thinking about none of those things at least not the turtle so when you're when your faith remains strong through many trials he says it will bring much praise glory and honor on that day when Christ is revealed we know that's day everyone say that day that day we know that there will be great glory I will stand by Pastor Todd Haggard and I will be full of joy as the Lord redeems and gives to him two mercies for every woe and that's such a great promise and we live for eternity but I don't know about you but I need some hope right now anybody else in the house come on now look at your neighbor and say I need some hope right now 
I need Jeremiah 29 11 is one of the most quoted scriptures of this century it started about 1995 I, I chronicle these things don't ask me why I have I don't have a lot of spare time but it still comes to me and it became very popular for everyone to say I know the plans I have and I think it's because we live in a world of of negative and we live in a world of tragedy and I love that I know the plans I have for you says the Lord plans to give you hope and a future and we most most focus on the future I need to focus on the hope he said I can have right now right where I am can you say amen I need hope that's right now everyone say right now hope believes that God is working everything for our good hope is believing that God loves us and he's going to take care of us hope is believing we're in the center of God's will so we can have peace and joy Hope is believing God is with me and God is with you. No matter what trial we may be going through, hope is not just for the future, but hope is for the present. Hope says God is right there with you. God is with you. Anybody want to give God a hand for the hope that comes from the Lord? You see, Romans 3 and 5, the, yeah, we're going to get back to Zechariah. Let me just go back and come back. God stands up amongst the weary. God stands up among the people in Zechariah, people who have been trying to rebuild things. Every time they get it halfway rebuilt, something knocks it down. Does that bear witness to anyone in this room today? You get a relation rebuilt, and all of a sudden it gets knocked back down. You get your finances rebuilt, all of a sudden it gets knocked down. You build your ministry, you build your church, and something comes in to knock it down. You get your self-esteem. I know I'm talking to somebody this morning built up and something comes in to knock it down you get your faith up and something comes in to knock it down you get something and these people are trying in Zechariah 9 to rebuild something all through the book of Ezra Nehemiah all, there's several minor prophets right there in the book of Zechariah God shows up and he announces guess what I'm proud of you guess what I got a word for you what's up he says guess what I got something to say to you return to your fortress return to your refuge return as we sang so powerfully I couldn't believe he pulled that song out this morning just so powerfully ministered to me to your tower of refuge and strength return to your place of hope I've seen you says the Lord putting every ounce of hope trying to rebuild things in your life and I see sometimes you knock it down and you're like the thief by Jesus and you think God can't ride your mistake into eternity guess what? God can get you out of what you got yourself into. God can get you through what you put yourself through. And guess what? God can get you out of what other people and the enemy have gotten you through and gotten you in because God is a God of hope, a God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can think or ask or hope. I wish I had somebody that would praise him in the house this morning. And he says, return to your fortress, you weary ones, you prisoners of hope. You've got to become a prisoner of hope. You've been a prisoner of addiction. You've been a prisoner of fear. You've been a prisoner of unbelief. You've been a prisoner to your past. I'm asking you, says the Lord, through the writing of his word, return to your fortress. Return to hope. Romans 3 and 5 says, now hope does not disappoint. Everyone say, hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts that the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us, the hope has been poured out by the Holy Spirit. God's hope does not disappoint. Disappoint is a combined word of dis 
means to undo. To disappoint means the opposite of appoint. So the word disappointment means when I'm disappointed, I believe I've missed an appointment. I missed an appointment for the right thing to happen in my life. I missed an appointment for promotion. Can I get an amen? I missed an appointment for someone to open the right door at the right time. I missed an appointment, you single women, that the blonde-headed boy didn't ask me out. Everyone say amen. And I was disappointed. Means I missed an appointment. But you see, God's hope, if it does not disappoint, then what does it do? Hope appoints. I want everyone to say hope appoints. Hope produces appointments for you and the appointments that hope, God's hope produces is divine appointments. That means my dear friend Joni Lamb has hooked me up with R.T. Kendall. They'll be at South Cleveland tonight. We're not going to be able to be there, but we've been talking about it every day. She'll hook me up with this person. She's hooked me up with that. She just recently interviewed Roma Downey and her husband and was sharing everything. She's always connecting Pastor Hank and I and Marcus to amazing and great people. They can appoint things in my life. But guess what? Joni Lamb's got flesh and blood. The other people I know got flesh and blood. But my God is eternal and sovereign. I'm connected to him and he can hook me up. He can make appointments in my life. He can set me up for divine favor. I might be like a Joseph in the prison of despair. And that despair, we all know who she is, but we won't say it this Sunday morning, Pastor Todd. But she's a mean girl. Look at your neighbor and say, you miss Wednesday night. So you don't don't know what she's talking about. She's a mean girl. Despair is pushy. Hope and peace sometimes don't seem to be as pushy, but the hope of God from Holy Spirit can appoint me like Joseph in the night when the baker and the butler both forgot me. One's dead and one went on two years forgetting I used my gift to get him out of his dungeon, but hope can appoint divine favor. I love my friends that are strategically connected to everybody from Tyler Perry to Joel Osteen. But guess what? If it was just me and Jehovah in a desert of safari wind and dust, my God can set me up for appointments that will boggle the mind because hope does not disappoint. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise this morning. In fact, in the Amplified Hebrews 6 and 18, if you're taking notes, it says, we who have fled to him for refuge... That's what we sang this morning. That's what Zechariah says. Return to your fortress. Return to your refuge. We who have fled to him for refuge. Before I finish reading that, let me tell you about great fortresses. You can go to the Masada in Israel. You have to take a big tram trolley all the way up to one of the scariest high places in the universe where the Jews hung out trying to beat the Maccabees, I think. Pastor Hank was the name. It's, a, it's an incredible fortress. They built it so that no one could get to them. But guess what? They got to them eventually. There's king's fortresses and palaces when you visit Europe and these kings will build fortresses so no one can come to them. When Haiti, Pastor and I flew with Jimmy Swaggart's pilot um, to one of the eighth wonders of the world, I never can remember, but it's there in Haiti. The Citadel, maybe, and we walked all the way up. It's an incredible fortress. You have to walk way, way up this mountain. And the interesting thing, the little Haitian boys do things um, for money. They're, they don't have any money. And, and so when you get off your plane, you get out of your car and you get ready to make this long walk with hundreds of other people for hours you think you're just going to die you know they get behind you and they say well you know I do this for you I do that for you in their broken Creole I I do this for you I help you I help you Mr. help you miss bonjour madame bonjour madame bonsoir madame and then you say it back to them they're like ah. 
she's a southern hick. She can't even say bonjour. But they do all of these things to try to help you. And Pastor all of a sudden put his hand on my back because when my family would walk together, my daddy, my mom, and my sister, my brother, we take walks at night. We have great conversations out on the, the road where we lived. And when we go up the hill, my daddy never did it for my brother, but he put his hand on my sister and I's back and he just helped push us up. And Pastor knows how much that means. And we were getting weary. So Pastor put his hand on my back. When those hundreds of Haitian boys saw him do it, they were running to every tourist they could with their hand on their back. And we just brought something new. I do this for you for one dollar. I hold you, bonsoir. Bonjour, madame. Bonjour, bonsoir. I help you, madame. I help you. Oh, it just starts something. But anyway, that was a fortress. Everyone say, that was a fortress. But guess what? That fortress will be annihilated. That refuge will be destroyed. But there is one refuge. There is one fortress. There is one place, Brandy, that we find our safety and our security. And it is the name of the Lord. The righteous run into it and they are saved. You see, I run into the refuge. I return to the refuge of hope. And Hebrews 6 and 18, let me finish. All those who have fled for refuge might have indwelling strength. Everyone say strength and strong encouragement. Strength and st everyone that runs to the fortress of hope will find strength. I won't find it in my complaining. My struggle will just get stronger. But if I run to the refuge of my hope in God, my strength and my encouragement will grow that I might grasp and hold fast the hope set before us. Everyone say the hope set before us. 19 says, now we have this hope. I love this. As a sure and steadfast anchor, it cannot slip and cannot break down under whoever steps out on it. I love that before I finish, the anchor of hope means that today I can step out on the anchor of hope. I can step out all the way out and they say, what's holding you up? Nothing's holding you up. Oh yes, something's holding me up. I have stepped out on the anchor of hope. I see nothing keeping you up in the morning and giving you strength through the day. Some one might say to you, I don't understand, Kristen, how you're still believing. I don't understand how you're still standing, April. They may say that to you, you're standing on nothing. And you say, oh, I'm standing on everything. I'm standing on something called hope. And it is an anchor in times. It will not slip. It will not break. It will not fall. It's not a plank built my man's hand on some pirates of the Caribbean that somebody's going to make you walk when they want to kill you. But guess what? God's plank is a plank of hope that when we stand on it, we stand strong on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Somebody give God a praise in this house this morning. Hope. Return to your hope. Hope is not what we think it is. Listen to what this woman wrote. Ingrid Bentecourt. Most of you do not know who that is. In the jungles of Columbia, kept by militia, for six years. She writes her mama not long before her rescue. Says, Mama, I'm tired. I'm tired of suffering. These years of captivity have shown me that I am not as resistant. Anybody else? Raise a hand in that one. Nor as brave, intelligent, or strong as I had believed. That's what trouble does. That's what hard times does. It makes you feel like you're helpless. You are helpless to save yourself. But you are not hopeless. Your hope is in God. Can you say amen? 
She said, I'm not as brave, intelligent, or strong as I had believed. I have tried to maintain hope as one keeps one's head above water. Get that visual. Mama, I'm trying to hold on to hope over here in Columbia. I've been here for six years, held by these militant rebels. But Mama, my hope is to a point that it merely looks to me like one who is barely keeping their head above water. Have you ever been barely keeping your head above water? On July 3rd, 2005, without a shot, she was rescued in a daring military operation by those who believed her life was worth saving. Did she know that God in her moment was speaking, hold on, Ingrid, hold on to your hope because a sudden turnaround is coming. One of those Kairos set moments is coming. Those moments that you can't plan. Hope is not a matter of waiting for things outside to get better. Hope is about getting better on the inside. Can I get an amen? Hope is about allowing ourselves to believe in the future we cannot see. It's about trusting in God. Hope sits by the window and waits for one more dawn despite the fact that there isn't an ounce of proof that it's coming in the sight. Hope is the last great gift to rise out of the grave of despair. Hope says, I know in whom I have believed in and I am persuaded that he is able. Hope says what God is saying to these in Zechariah in the ninth chapter when he says, hey, return to your fortress of hope for even now. He shows up suddenly says, I'm going to give you two mercies for every woe. Those 24 episodes that the Bible calls set times, those set times of God. Joseph didn't know that just in time, as Pastor said Wednesday night, to get a shower and a shave, Joseph was going to get out of prison and rise to the right hand of Pharaoh. He didn't know that 22 years and all the woes was going to be paid off by God's re revelation being revealed that the whole time God was weaving every incident of his life to work for the good of Joseph and those that love him. And let me say to you today, Day, in the darkness, in the light, in the moments you cannot see, God is weaving every moment of your life for those who love him and are conformed to the image of his will. Somebody give God a shout of praise. Return to your fortress of hope. Those unexpected 24-hour cycles. When the waters roll back, nobody woke up that morning and said, Water's rolling back today. Biggest miracle you ever seen, Israel. Water's rolling back today. No one told the blind Bartimaeus it's going to happen for you today. All he had was his hope when he heard the voice of Jesus, the son of David. And he began to cry, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus did. The man at the pool of Bethesda did not get a memo from the Almighty. He did not get a memo from the Almighty. Your 24 Kairos, which means the set time of God, is coming today. The day on God's calendar that he's already circled. That he's going to bring the miracle you've been praying about. At just in the moment that God had planned. And unfortunately for you and I, God loves to work right up to the last minute. The midnight hour seems to just thrill him. He's a God of showcase, a God of glory. Let me tell you, it says in the fullness of time... The 
son came to the earth as a baby put in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes and let me tell you suddenly without warning God will bring a set time into your life God will bring a moment like Zechariah 9 that he shows up and says hey 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 I've noticed you and I want you to know I've come to bless you can you say amen oh this morning you may be like them and you may be like the man at Bethesda you may be like Bartimaeus you may be like Magdalene and having given yourself to so many men you may be like her that you just can't imagine getting yourself out of the waterless pit that Zechariah and I read about a waterless pit he says I will free your prisoners from a waterless pit was part of the passage I just read what does that mean how is that transferred to where you and I live a waterless pit is a pit that has no substance a pit that has no nourishment a pit that you get yourself into our life gets you into where there is no water there is no hope a pit that has no wind the woman at the well Jesus said I'm thirsty can you draw me some water or she said can I draw you some water he said if you knew who you were talking to if you knew who you were speaking to, you would ask me for the water that will never run dry. And he, she says, he says to her, yeah, I know who you are. I know I'm the seventh man that's come on the scene. You've been married to five and the sixth one you're living with now. But guess what? I'm the seventh man on the premise. And seven is a number of perfection. Now, don't you be go looking for seven husbands. But what I will say to you is that Christ is the ordainer, the author, the originator. He is the one who furnishes all good and mighty things to you and I. He is the one who gives living water. And guess what? The waterless pits that our brothers and sisters are in right now. The cisterns that have no nourishment. The pits that look to have no hope. God says he will rescue. You may feel this morning, I don't see God. I don't know God. I say God is often silent before he springs. In fact, two passages before this it says Zechariah says be silent all the earth or an angel yells out be silent all the earth the Lord is springing into action be silent be silent be silent you can't see him you can't hear him you can't taste him you don't know where he is but he is springing in to action what do we know about our kids I've said it before you don't have to worry when you hear little Betty and Bobby in there knocking each other's heads off you know they're okay as long as they're not blood flowing come on somebody but the minute little Bobby Betty and their cousin Sally Joe get quiet in the next room you better worry they're repapering the wall they're drawing on your armoire they're tearing up your carpet they're refurbishing your room in a way you didn't know it guess what God is often like our babies he is most quiet before he springs into action so return to your fortress of hope oh you beautiful people if you can't see God you can trace God come on somebody come on somebody say he's faithful when I don't see him before me he's coming up behind me when I can't see him beside me he may be coming in through the window but this
this I know. I got to lock myself back up in hope. I got to return. If I said everyone stand and don't do this and return to your vehicles immediately, you must go. You would get up and immediately you would go to your cars, especially if I said there was danger, especially as we've seen in horrific terms how things have happened in tragedies in our country this week and we've seen people flee the scenes. They returned to a place of safety. Let me tell you something. Distrust in God, despair in God, unbelief in God is to be treated as an intruder. It is to be treated as someone that has come to steal your hope. You see, man can take away your car, but you can get another car if you keep believing in God. Man can take away your health, but your health can be regained by believing in God. Man can discard your good name, but God can rebuild your name as he did time and time and time again in scripture if you hold on to your faith. But if you allow your faith or your hope to be stolen from you, you are the poorest beggar in the planet. You are a man or a woman without any hope because hope will keep you alive. Hope will keep you head above the water. You've got to learn to trace him. You are maybe helpless, but you are not hopeless because he says, come to me, you weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Believe in me. Return to your fortress of hope. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He says, your king comes to you. And like I said, we, we want to envision, you know, the great warriors, gladiators. The guy in last one, he can't say, I can't remember everybody's names, but they, him, all those great names. We envision great Navy SEALs. Your king is coming. Your king is coming. We look ready to see battalions of great warriors coming toward us. But he says, your king comes to you riding on a donkey. Our first thought is, does he have any friends? Is anybody else coming with him? Does he have a backup? Does he have a posse? Is there another team coming in? Oh, like a team A. Is this just like a mirage, an illusion? He wants everyone to think he's riding on a donkey. But that is a picture of when Christ rode into Jerusalem and only a soldier, only the greatest warrior could mount up on a donkey. A donkey is a little unmanageable, foolish thing. Guess what? Every one of us are donkeys that Christ lives within and brings his name into the dark corners of the earth. I'd like to offer God something better than a little foolish, unmanageable thing like me. But he says to each one of us called by his name, to many that are called by the spirit they are called the children of God he says I am in you and I want to come into broken streets like Jerusalem where people will give praise to Hosanna Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord why are they saying that when you bring Christ in because those in the waterless pit find redemption they find purpose they find restoration and who knew that Jesus would come and live Rhonda Davis at 52 years old and through you but somebody give the king of glory a hand clap of praise in this house we want him to come in certain ways pastor I see if you'll come and play quietly please at first we want to see Christ come as 
a mighty warrior, but he does come that way. We can't predict, we can't orchestrate, we can't tabulate when Christ will come. I've given him several options when he can turn things around, haven't you? It'd be really cool. Now, let me just help you, because I'm a producer and a director and have written some dramas that some are very reasonably good, and um, I, I, I know how to bring something together. So, God, I'm, I'm just going to help you here. If you really want to get glory, then this is the day you should do this. And this is how this should happen. Oh, wave a hand, let the angels know you've done it too, and you know you haven't. You've never written a drama, but you've written your own drama. Come on, somebody. And you try to tell God how to get you out of that drama, or how he can turn the tide, and when he can do it. But he says, your king comes. Don't focus on the way he's coming. Let me tell you something. God comes. God came to me this morning through Brandy's little girl. It brought sweet memories of daughters that I held in my arms doing worship sweet daughters and it reminded me of my little five cents that I'm adding to the great ministry of Hope House that that generation would be changed God may come to you with a word from someone you dislike someone you don't want to hear from all I know is I want my king to come anybody else wave a hand before heaven and say I want my king to come and he's coming. God interrupted your life today to say, he's coming. To your doubt and to your despair. To the places you think he is not there. To the dungeon and the prison of your fear and unbelief. He comes bringing sweet Holy Ghost relief. To the crowded hallways of fear. The Lord comes speaking. I am always near. To the place of your mistake, your wonderings, and your loss, the Lord comes and says, Make no doubt about this. I, the Lord, am here. Not to only make all things new, but to bring something glorified through you. Something to give me praise, says the Lord. So let me say, I am coming to you. So beautiful people, in doubt and disbelief, hold your head up high. Lift up your eyes. The Lord around you is your strength and your tower. Lift up your heads, O oh sons and daughters. Be full of good cheer and hope this very day. Beautiful people, the Lord is here. Can you put your hands together for him so I will come to the end of this? I think of two beautiful people before we get to the very end of this. Yaakov and Rachel in the time of the Holocaust in Europe. They were Jews. And their family said, there is no hope from us. Hip, the Nazis were moving closer and closer in. Rachel's parents, Rachel and Yaakov, were boyfriend and girlfriend, they took, the family took all their money and said, we can't save all of us. And they sewed inside Rachel's coat all their money, hidden. And they sent Rachel and Yaakov and, about, and Rachel's sister and about 20 others out, out into the woods. But the Nazis pressed on in and found them and began to shoot. And in the fleeing, the 20 trying to flee from the Nazis, Rachel's sister was shot and killed. And Rachel went to try to grab her. But when she did, the Nazis shot both of her legs. Yaakov grabbed Rachel, his love, and he dragged her. And the 20 went with him into the forest and into a German home. And they begged the Germans that lived there, who were good people, please take care of this girl. 
The money is sewed inside of her coat for everything you need. Everything you need. She was still a teenager. It's inside her coat. This German family raised her as their own. They said she was on. Yakov and the others lived in the forest, covering themselves in mud by day, and but the Nazis found them. The Nazis took them to Auschwitz. When they got there that day, the German commandant stood outside where Yakov and the other young men were and got ready to shoot them immediately to end their life, which was rare, but the war was going on. And all of a sudden the commandant said, is any among you a tailor? And Yakov said, yes, sir, I am a tailor. I'm a skilled tailor. He says, come up here. I need you. And they lifted up their guns and Yakov yelled out, no, 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 sir. I must have an assistant. I cannot sew clothes without an assistant. And he said, then you must pick from this about 18 young men, one who will live. Yakov looked among them, loving all of them. He looked at his best friend and his brother. Both, he loved both. And he chose one of them, the commandant, killed the others. Yakov and his best friend lived and survived Auschwitz by sewing clothes, tailoring clothes for the German, German officers. It came near where the Allies were gaining victory and Russia was approaching to help us. And they were approaching toward Auschwitz. And the officer said, Yakov and his friend, go sell our horses and get them ready. But when Yakov and his friend went to sell the horses, they got on them and ran as, and, and rode as fast as they could on those horses to the lines and met up with the Russians and were spared. The war was ended. Yakov was free and his friend, but all others had died that they knew, all of Yakov's relatives. He went back and searched diligently for his love, Rachel. He found her. He took her as his wife. They began to live their life for their God as Jews. They had a beautiful child. They named this child. They named him Marty. So Yaakov and Rachel Walden raised Marty. And often as Marty was growing up, they would say, Marty, are you related to those Waldens? Are those Waldens? And he'd say, no, not related to any of those because no one but one aunt had survived. Marty grew up, and today, Marty pastors a Messianic Jewish church in Dallas, Texas. And recently, this beautiful person raised by beautiful people who survived by their strength in an almighty God who cannot fail, went. He went to Auschwitz. He stood with the grandson of a German officer. They wrapped their arms around each other. And there on that place, they spoke forgiveness to those perpetrators that harmed them and that harmed each other and their descendants. Let me tell you something. Beautiful people are people who are compassionate, who are kind, who are gentle, who have been through some stuff in their life and say, you know what? My God has made me a man or a woman full of hope and I'm going to stay in my fortress of hope. Would somebody give God praise? God says to you in the closing moments this morning, return to your rest, oh my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Psalms 1, 16 and 7. The trial you face today will be small compared to tomorrow's victories. God said, I will free your prisoners. He goes on to say, prisoners of hope, let me give you a little bit more. Look at your neighbor and say, there's a little bit more. In our closing thought, he said, because of the blood covenant, what that means is there was a bowl that they would catch the blood after the lamb had
had been slain back before Jesus and the bull would catch the blood off the mercy seat and that blood the priest would take a hyssop branch and he would sprinkle the blood it was blood that had been slain and put on the mercy seat let me tell you what God is saying the reason you have double hope two mercies for everyone listen it's because the things in your life that have wounded you they have slain you they have slit your heart they have hurt you God says, because of the blood of my covenant, I will take my bowl and I will catch your suffering into the blood of my son that's been poured out on the mercy seat in the presence of the most high God. And I will take a branch and I will sprinkle your mercy. I will sprinkle your sufferings. What does that mean? It means there is redemptive purpose in your suffering. That means nothing you've ever been through would be wasted if you return to your fortress of hope. You've been through the fire, the Lord can pour the suffering into a bowl and he can sprinkle it to the nations and find healing for others. You've been through a testing, the Lord says he can mix it with his blood and he can sprinkle it to the nations. Oh, you don't want to hear when you're going through something, God will use this. I hate it when people say that to me in the worst of my life. God is going to use this for his glory. I want to say shut up. I don't care. God's used me enough. I've got track all over me. God's used my pain enough. God's used my resume enough. But then God says no. Through the next weakness, the next brokenness, I'm tempering you. I'm humbling you. I'm getting you into a place, as he's saying in Zechariah, that what I want to do through you is more precious. It's more valuable. It's more holy. It's more potent. It's more strong. It's more powerful than anything I've ever used in your life before but if you don't return to your place of hope you will not believe that even in this day God can sprinkle your suffering to bring healing to the nation somebody giving praise in this house redemptive pain redemptive purpose today Rick Warren is grieving his son who fought mental illness Rick Warren the great author of Purpose Driven Life Rick Warren we only know him through others but his, if you're not following on Twitter or Facebook, you need to because he and Kay are spitting out so many nuggets from the throne room like a one million will come up and meet all over the world because they're in the fire. They're walking through the suffering. They're walking through the pain. And because they return to their hope in the midst of something they cannot understand, God is sprinkling the blood of their suffering to the nations. God is sprinkling. You say, well, I'm no Rick Warren. God wants to make you into one. I'm no Kay Warren. God wants to make you into one. I'm no Abraham. God wants to make you into one. I'm no Deborah, but God wants to make me into one. I'm no Apostle Paul. Guess what? Don't keep saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Start to say. A waterless pit says I can't do it. A refuge, a prisoner of hope says I'm returning to my fortress. I don't know how God is going to do this and I don't know when, but I will not run away from my hope in an undeniable, great, holy, mighty God who has been faithful. I wish somebody would put your hands together and bless his holy name. Stand all over this place if you will, please. Stand and praise Him. I wasn't trying to cut you off. Praise Him. Come on for 30 seconds. Praise Him. For 30 seconds. Praise Him.
Thanks. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the... But God, I've been barely holding on, but I'm proud of you. I'm proud the way you've been using that thread of hope. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the way you... I'm going to give you two mercies for every love. I'm going to restore double. I'm going to free your prisoners, your children, your grandchildren, your siblings, your prodigal children from the waterless pit. I will free them. Because you have believed in me in a moment of darkness, says the Lord. In a hard time, you have believed. And he says, I am going to pick up Judah. I'm going to pick up the bow of Judah. What's so? This is a great thing for a Bible study here, but this is not the time. Maybe on a Wednesday night. But Judah had been trampled. Judah means praise. The enemies had trampled Judah. The enemies have said... Judah will never rise up. This family will never rise up, the enemy says. This situation, you will never overcome. This trial, this disappointment, there's no hope God can appoint. Trampled, trampled Judah. But God reached down and picked up the bow of Judah in his own hands. Right here in Zechariah 9, right that I just read to you. Prisoners of hope, return to your fortunes. And he says, God will take the bow and he will reach down and pick up the bended arrow of Ephraim. Ephraim's, God's picking up a bow that's been trampled and an arrow that looks devastated. But God's taking it into his hands. The Bible says he points straight toward the enemy, he says. Pulls back the bent arrow. Whose hand is it in? It's in God's hand. And he says, and I will point at your enemies. And I will let Ephraim go. Meaning I will direct what has looked destroyed, broken, without future use, without victory possible, mountain too big, situation too hurtful, disappointment too huge, and I will aim it right back at your enemy, says the Lord. And he says, I will cause you to be a great warrior. So this morning, as every hand is lifted all over this place, as every hand is lifted all over this place, today before prayer before maybe a shout of victory hearing you as if you just walked in the room you've prophetically spoken to us in poise and word and you've even used poetry to speak but you've said I've noticed you return to your fortress get back in the place of hope get back in the place of trust in him not going to make it out there on your own. You may feel helpless you are without me, but you come back in and you're not hopeless. And I will use your dependency upon me is what you're saying to us, Lord, to strengthen you. So, Lord, we get back into the place of refuge. We get back into the place of strength. Some of us feel bent, trampled. We feel like Ingrid, just our head above the water in hope. But you are saying, Turn to your hope. I'm going to give you two mercies for every wall. Lord, we lift our hands right now and say, that's me. I'm 
a candidate for this woman. Lord, I'm a candidate for this woman. I'm a healer. I'm a recipient. Lord, with my eyes closed and my hand lifted, if you and I walked back through my life right now, we'd see so many areas, Lord. So many areas, Lord. But I need you to breathe hope back in. I need to turn the page. I need, I'm like these people in Zechariah, kind of weary. Everything I've tried to rebuild seems to have been knocked down. But Lord Jesus, I know you're up to something. You said you're coming. Your word says you're coming. I trace you from Genesis to Revelations. No, you're coming. So we return to my tower, my strength, my refuge. I return to you right now. And I release. I release all things, Lord. Whatever is broken, whatever is bruised, I ask you to pick up into your hands. Aim it back at my enemy. So people freed of addiction can be aimed right back to free others. So people who committed adultery can be aimed to free others. So people who were raised without godly parents can be aimed to help those who have no godly parents. So those, Lord, who have been broken and forgotten can be aimed back at those who are broken and forgotten. For hope does not disappoint, but hope appoints. And no greater appointment than for us to be aimed at the hurting, the weary. God, we come back to our refuge of hope. We get back into that place of saying my refuge is my trust in God who cannot fail me. My belief that God is going to work this for my good. My belief that God is going to turn it around. There's a suddenly coming. I can't see it. I can't taste it. I don't know it. But I just heard my King is coming. As every eye is closed before we pray, before we get happy, if you're here this morning, Jesus is not the Savior of your life. He's not, and you know it. You know it. You have drifted away from Him, and you want to come back this morning. As no one's looking, I want you just to lift a little hand to the Lord. In fact, my eyes aren't even on you this morning, which is weird. I just want you to make notice to God. God, I need to get right with you. Right where you are, I need to get right with you. And put your hand down. Father, in the name of Jesus, your word says if we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart, that we receive salvation. So Lord, I thank you right now that as every man and woman in this room, every man and woman, repeat after me a prayer of confession. Dear Jesus, today, everyone repeat, dear Jesus, today I come to you. I confess I'm away from you, but I'm coming home. Today is the first day of the rest of my life. I welcome you, Lord. With your help and with your grace, I will make it. Now, can everybody give the Lord a hand clap of praise before we move on?